Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week one, day two of our study of Isaiah. I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and today we're talking about Isaiah 1, 16-31. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, open your our, our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us. God, speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to encounter you in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. We're reading today from the NIV. This is Isaiah starting uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. All right. Pausing there, going back to Isaiah 1, 1 through 15 that we talked about yesterday. Uh, Isaiah has laid out this case before the people of Judah that, hey, God is calling you Sodom and Gomorrah. And, And when I say Isaiah, I mean the Lord speaking through Isaiah, laying out this case. You're as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. You come and you bring sacrifices to me. You're doing all of the festivals. You're doing all the stuff that I've asked you to do right, but I hate it. God said, I hate it with every ounce of my being to these people. And he he made the case at the end of our passage yesterday. It's because your hands are full of blood. And what's going on is the old adage of might makes right. And this is really the, the, the case for following the one true God. Throughout all of human history, when you throw off any kind of objective morality, when you throw off the, the giver of laws, God himself, and then man becomes the lawmaker unto himself, if there is no objective reality, if, if laws and the way that we govern society, the way that we interact with each other, comes from us, things are very different than when you live under the auspices of a law giver, someone who is uh, always good like God. Because we humans, we are not good. And what ends up happening is maybe we start off with some good laws, but as time goes on, we start tailoring them. If I'm in charge, I start tailoring them to where they benefit me and not so much you. All right. We see this all the time in, in our politics and any politics is uh, good for thee, not for me. Right? The laws, they start applying differently. We craft the laws in ways that prop us up and maybe throw you under the bus. And so what ends up happening is this idea of the might makes right, right? I'm in charge. I get to tell you what to do. And that means I can take advantage of you and I can start pushing you down for my benefit. And so that's what's going on here. They've thrown off the Lord. They've thrown off worshiping the Lord and they've gone after the idols and the false deities of these other nations and they've adopted their way of life in doing so. And then we get to justify ourselves. And if I'm in charge, then I get to make the rules and they benefit me. And this, this filters all the way down, right? This is not just politicians at the top. This is, right, this is the, the, the lowest guy in the totem pole, right? If you are digging ditches and you're a ditch digger 
And then a new guy gets hired to the crew and you're, you're digging the same as him, but you got a little bit more seniority. You see this all the time. People end up treating the new guy even worse and they, they abuse him and they take advantage of him, right? This is human nature. This is, this is unrepentant human nature is I will take advantage of whoever I possibly can to make my life better. I will step on whoever I need to in the process of making myself better. And that's what's going on here. All of Israel, they are using and abusing other people. All right. And, and, and the Lord is saying, listen, you need to, you know, do what's right. Stop doing all of these evil deeds. Do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Don't take advantage of fatherless children. Don't take advantage of widows. Don't take advantage of, of people that can't help themselves. And that's exactly what they're doing. And I think we could hear this today because this is going on all over the world, right under our noses these days, is, is we have so much moralizing in our world right now. We got to save the planet by doing this and we got to stand up for these people and stand up for these people's rights. Well, all the while under our noses, people are being trafficked. People are being oppressed. And no amount of moralizing, the Lord would say the same thing to us today. Is, I can't stand your moralizing. Your moralizing is, is detestable to me. I can't bear it. Because look at what is going on to all of these people. Very much the same today. People never change. People are always the same. The way that things look, the way that things play out, that changes. Technology changes. The Just... The, the cycles of life, how things look, changes. But people, people don't change. Verse 18, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. And I think that's such a powerful statement right there. This is the difference. It's not about are, are you struggling in sin and stumbling before the Lord, but getting back up and repenting and coming back to him with all your heart. David in the Psalms defines a righteous man as one who's, who stumbles seven times, but he gets back up, right? It's righteousness is not about not sinning. That's not what righteousness is ever about. Righteousness is about getting up, repenting of your sin and running back to the Lord. We're not perfect and we're not going to be perfect. Now, that doesn't give us a license to just go out and sin and say, oh, I did it again. I repent and, you know, and not meaning it, right? Paul addresses that in the New Testament. He's like, people who do that, he's like, you're going to receive condemnation, like eternal judgment from God for doing that. And it's justified. You're going to deserve it. Right? That's not who we are. We don't just use our, our salvation in Jesus as a license to sin. No, 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 no. That's not what this is. This, is, this is, has to truly come from the heart. Our repentance has to truly come from the heart. And the difficult thing is, is because we're human, we're so bad at not sinning, like not losing our temper, not doing all these, these, these things, right? We're bad at that. It's, it's it, the, the tendency for people is that 
We have so much struggle getting hold of our emotions and all these things that we can't control that over time we get tired of repenting. We get tired of having to turn back to the Lord. Oh man, I did it again. I lost my temper again. I did that thing again. We get tired of having to repent. And so what we do is like, well, actually, I was justified in losing my temper with my kids. Actually, I was justified in in taking a little bit of money on the side at work because they owe it to me. I was justified, right? We start to make excuses for and justify our sin. That is where we get into very, very big trouble. That's what's going on here. The Lord is saying, if you're willing and obedient, you'll experience all of the good things that I have for you. But if you resist and rebel, the resist and the rebel is when the Lord comes to us and says, hey, what you did was wrong. That, that, that gentle thing that happens inside of us that so many people have called our conscience, but it's really the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, hey, that thing that you did was wrong. We have the choice right then to say, oh, it, it was wrong. That was wrong what I did, Lord. I'm, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I repent. I turn from it. I turn from it and I follow you. That takes humility because that stings. Having to admit again, I, I, I did that thing, Lord. I did it and I'm sorry. That stings. But that's what the Lord's asking for. But if we resist and that voice comes to us, when the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, hey, you shouldn't have done that. You know you shouldn't have done that. I say, well, they had it coming this time. Or they owe me this. Or I didn't ask for this. And that's what they get. When we start to justify and we resist and rebel against the working of the Holy Spirit in our life, where it says, you'll be devoured by the sword. And he's not just so specifically talking to an individual here. When he's talking about being devoured by the sword, this is a nationwide thing. Now, it applies individually. If your nation gets devoured by the sword and you happen to be a citizen of that nation, you're going to suffer the same as everyone else. But we're also speaking more broadly. When a culture, when a society, when a nation starts to embrace this rebellious spirit, then the Lord is going to send another nation to devour them. Continuing on verse 20, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Verse 21, see how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. The dross, by the way, is the when you're smelting materials, dross is the junk that's not the stuff that you want that floats to the top, right? So if you're trying to get pure silver and you're, you got a crucible and you're melting the silver, the dross is the other things that aren't silver that come to the toss, the top and you, you skim off, right? So he's like, your silver is not silver at all. It's dross. Your, your wine, your good wine, someone like watered it down, right? Verse 23, your rulers are rebels, 
partners with thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. Now, again, I I don't like to make these things too much like about the United States. I live in the United States. If you're listening, watching to this, obviously you can hear from my accent. You can see me. I'm a, a U.S. citizen. I'm coming from the United States. I don't like to make, when we're studying scripture, I don't like to make it America centric. Uh, there, there's too much of that in uh, in just politics and 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 Christianity in general. Um, so I don't like to talk in terms of the United States being like the center of God's universe. It's not. Israel is the center of God's universe. Jerusalem is his forever eternal capital. Not Washington D.C. Not New York. Not uh, I don't know Fort Worth or whatever. You know Walker, Texas Ranger. It's it's nowhere other than Jerusalem. And so the Bible is a Jerusalem centric book. It's an Israel centric book. It's a Jew central centric book. I am a Gentile being grafted in. I live in a different place and I'm grafted into this. I like to be very clear on that. But with that said. I live in the United States and my experience, I can't experience life as an Israeli living in Israel because I don't. I, I can't experience what life was like for Isaiah. I can only imagine. But what I can do is I can understand from my context a little bit of what Isaiah and the Lord were talking about here. And, you know, there's some great research that's been done here in the last several years. It's like all of our, not all, I don't want to say all, but goodness, the lion's share of them. The lion's share of them are Congress people that sit on committees in in Washington. The the U.S. congressmen and and senators they've all got committee appointments, and uh, lo and behold, you know they're they're getting either intelligence from these committee appointments or they're making decisions based off these committee appointments. And lo and behold, all so many of these people right after their committee appointments or right after their committee meetings on big things that are going down in the nation or in the world, they go out and they trade, they buy and sell stocks right after some of these committee meetings that have to do with the stocks that they're buying and selling. And lo and behold, our Congress people are some of the most fabulous, amazing traders, stock traders on planet earth, like way better than any people running hedge funds in, in uh, New York city, way better than Warren Buffett and people like that. They are uh, just amazingly good. And, uh, they would say that it has nothing to do with their committee appointments and all of that kind of stuff. Or most of them would say it if they're, (laughs) if they're being honest, they're going to, they'll say it, they'll say the quiet part loud. But it's the, it's, it's the same kind of thing. So that's the experience that I can equate it to is all of these people, we watch them. They're not, maybe all of them are not necessarily taking straight up bribes, but they're using their seats of power to better themselves at the expense of everyone else. It's no different than taking a bribe. It's no different. They're chasing after gifts. They're doing exactly what Isaiah says. They're partners with thieves, right? They're, they're taking money. They're doing these things. They've, they've dirtied themselves. They've sullied themselves with uh, dirty money. So again, I don't like to make things America centric. This, this kind of stuff goes on in various capacities, always has, always will, whenever there's money and power uh, centrally located, but that's the experience I can see. And that's who like Isaiah is talking to right there. But again, it doesn't have to be, you know, all the way up. It can be like, 
a city councilman, right? Getting a little bit of a kickback. You know, it doesn't have to be millions of dollars traded on, you know, pharmaceuticals because, you know, COVID-19 is about to hit. It doesn't have to be that big. It's all the way up and down. Whatever size kickback you get from being on whatever committee or whatever you've got is not okay. Verse 24. Therefore, the Lord, the, or, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, verse 23, they do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. Now 24, the, therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the mighty one of Israel declares, ah, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as in the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So I love one of the things that the Lord does through Isaiah in, in so many of the chapters of the book of Isaiah. There's, there's all of this negative. There's, you guys are just terrible, right? Over and over and over. It's like, you guys are terrible. But then there's always hope. The Lord is always offering us hope. All right, listen, I'm going to get rid of all these bad rulers. I'm going to restore to you the way it was in the beginning. And you will again be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city, Jerusalem. Now, one of the challenges in the book of Isaiah is knowing when is he talking about that happening? Is that a contemporary thing to, let's say, Uzziah? Is that in the last days? Is that in the millennial reign of Jesus? Is that in eternity, the eternal city of God? When is that? And those are some of the very difficult questions to answer as we go through the book of Isaiah. And we will get more into detail on some of those technical things of, of the seasons and the whens that Isaiah is speaking to. But the promise is, the promise, the, the unequivocal promise from God is that one day Jerusalem will be called the city of righteousness. It will be called the faithful city. Verse 27. Zion will be delivered with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness. Penitent means those that repent, right? We're talking about the difference between those who repent and those who rebel. Verse 29, but rebels and sinners will both be broken and those who forsake the Lord will perish. You will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted. You'll be disgraced because of the gardens that you've chosen. You'll be like an oak with fading leaves, like a garden without water. The mighty man will become tender and his work a spark. Both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. All right, we, we finish on a very negative thing, but the Lord has made a distinction here. And this is a very, very important distinction here in the book of Isaiah. I've said this very often on the broadcast. So this very often, but it's, it's worth repeating its work of understanding is there's this idea that in the new Testament we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus In the old Testament we're saved, the people were saved by fulfilling the works of the law. Nothing could be further from the truth. We just finished Galatians and Colossians and a most recent study. And Paul dispels this in both of those books. You are not, no one has ever been saved by obeying and, and doing the works of the law. Now we need to do the works of the law. We need to obey God. We need to walk those things out the best we can, but that's not what saves you. It's the grace of God through our faith in him and that we humble ourselves and repent and turn to him. And that's the distinction that the Lord makes here in, the, in, in Isaiah chapter one 
is that the humble, those that repent, the penitent ones, they're going to be the ones that are in that will inherit this city that's called the faithful city, the city of righteousness. But if you rebel against the 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 Holy Spirit moving on your heart, if you rebel against him trying to get you to repent, you will be burned with fire with no one to put it out. That's the word there. We live repentant lives, humble before the Lord, or we and, and we inherit righteousness, or we rebel against him and we inherit destruction. Those are the two ways. There's nothing in between. There's absolutely nothing in between. It's those two things. And we need to understand that Isaiah chapter one is laying this out. You're not, uh, you're not saved by your obedience to the law. He's already said, you're obeying the law and I'm going to destroy you because you're obeying it and you're doing all of this wickedness. It doesn't work like that. You either live a life of repentance before the Lord where your heart is humble before him or you rebel against him and you get destroyed. That's the only way this can go. There is no in-between. We can't, we can't have a foot in both camps. It's so many people want to have a foot in both camps. And again, it doesn't mean that you behave perfectly, that you never sin. That's not what we're talking about. What it means is you never make excuse for sin. You never, you never say, well, it's okay that I do this because we never justify our sin. We repent of our sin and we run back to God. And that is where we find salvation. And it's where we've always found salvation. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.